Welcome to the Drupal 7 End of Life podcast. I'm Mark Dorison, and with me I have Chris Free. Hey, last time on the show for a little bit. I'm just taking a little bit of a sabbatical. I've been doing the chromatic deal for 15 years, and my lovely business partners, Mark and Dave, have allowed me to take the summer off. So it's sadly my last appearance on the show. For a while. For a little bit. So we'll see what happens here. We've really been enjoying making the podcast together. So while eventually we'll probably run out of Drupal 7 things to talk about, I expect there'll be a new incantation of this podcast sometime down the line. You know, if you had asked me when we started this, would we have as much, as many things to talk about with Drupal 7 as we have had, I would not have believed you. So every week when we keep learning something new or talk to someone interesting, suddenly there's a whole new plethora of new things to talk about. So we'll see. This will be my last time on the show for a minute. But Mark will carry on. We'll probably have some more guests. We'll probably tease those at the end. But I will bid you adieu at the end of this episode and then see you, you know, I'll see you around. And then there'll be more stuff to come. About a month from now, I and some of our other Chromatic team members will be in Pittsburgh for DrupalCon. We hope that we see many of you there. Let's plan to talk Drupal 7 and all of the end of life stuff there in Pittsburgh. We will be missing Chris, but but Pittsburgh's going to be great. Yeah, I'll just say too that I will send Mark or whomever is going to be at the DrupalCons North America and Pittsburgh, I will send them with some chromatic swag and stickers from the podcast and all that kind of stuff. So if you see Mark walking around or anyone else repping chromatic, just introduce yourself, say hello. And there's normally almost always some free swag. Uh, yeah, we have, we have podcast stickers now, right? We got podcast stickers. We'll have those for mid-camp, but sadly this episode will drop post mid-camp. So unless you're a time traveler... Maybe you've been to MidCamp and you've already gotten a sticker from me by the time you're hearing this episode. But if you're going to be at DrupalCon, we'll have stickers there. We will indeed. The last two episodes, we've had two amazing guests. We had Arena Zacks, co-founder of the Drupal 7 Soft Landing Initiative. And we had Tim Lennon, CTO of the Drupal Association. Those That's episodes five, four and five. If you're looking for those, we'll put links in the show notes. But... I thought they were great to talk to on their own. It's so much fascinating stuff, but I thought it was particularly interesting to maybe talk about the Venn diagram of where their priorities overlap and where they don't. I think that's super important framing for the conversation to understand why is Drupal 7 where it is and Mm -hmm. why is this a hard thing? Why is this a hard problem to solve? To give a short summary, Arena talked about the priorities of the soft landing initiative and spoke primarily from the perspective of those Drupal 7 site maintainers, the people responsible for these Drupal 7 sites, the challenges that they're facing when end of life comes and what we might do to soften that landing to make that transition easier, whether it's an extension of the end of life date, a delay in that end of life, or and or work that can be done to make a transition off of Drupal 7 easier, whether that's to, to mainline Drupal, to, to modern Drupal, or whether that's to backdrop, or whether that is to something else. So how are we helping these folks not end up on an unsupported version of Drupal? 
I feel like Arena 2 was very much in the camp of we have to stop supporting Drupal 7 from the perspective of it is overall a burden on the community that is not sustainable. So she is very sympathetic to folks who are on Drupal 7 and wants to build tooling and provide a quote unquote soft landing for folks who are still on Drupal 7, which number in the hundreds of thousands still. But she still has the perspective of this has to go away. We cannot continue this indefinitely. Yeah, I think that all of these conversations, the concerns are really not that far off. The Everyone is concerned about these folks and wants to help the folks that are still on Drupal 7. That's one of the through lines out of everyone that we've spoken to both on and off the podcast is we want yeah. to help people not feel stranded on Drupal 7 when end of life, certainly when end of life comes, hope maybe, maybe they already feel stranded in a way, but that's the, I think the shared feeling. Yeah. I think that's pretty typical for the Drupal community is there's a ton of empathy and a ton of support, which may be part of the reason we're in this situation. All right. What was Tim's perspective? If I had to summarize, I would say that Tim's primary concern is supporting the Drupal project. And that means modern mainline Drupal. He has all the same concerns about not wanting Drupal 7 folks to feel stranded, not leaving them stranded. He wants to keep them in Drupal or keep them in open source in general, if not in Drupal. But I think where the difference is just the where the priorities, everything is about priorities and what is the number one priority. And for him, it's that. And also involved in supporting modern mainline Drupal is not peeling a bunch of resources away indefinitely to support Drupal 7. And I think that is where the problem, where the conflict in a way is where we can't have it all. We're dealing with limited resources. And this is true in all, we deal with this on all of our projects, all chromatic projects, every project any of us have ever worked on at least that I've worked on, is the resources aren't unlimited. Time, money, attention. We have to make decisions. And so that is the decision, understandably, in my opinion, that the Drupal Association is placed in. That's their role and that's their task. As we go forward, I think the challenge is to figure out where are these different groups in alignment and how can we work together to improve this situation for the people still on Drupal 7 within that space. Well, let's run down the things, the obvious places where they're in alignment, right? So everyone seems to be on board with, we've got to figure out a, a not a happy path, but a, a helpful path for anyone who's still running a Drupal 7 site where they don't feel abandoned by the community, where they have options, even if they are ultimately leaving Drupal, Drupal as it's currently constituted, if they're going to a competitor, hopefully it stays in open source. There's a lot of alignment there, right? On those two sides. Yep. There also seems to be interest from, it's hard to say both sides, but there's alignment on let's provide tooling and good information for the community. I think that's why folks are coming to, onto the podcast because I think a lack of information and consolidation of information, clear information is part of the problem. Folks are from every angle wanting to share their story or share their perspective or share the information that they have bring to bear. There's a willingness to, at least in the short term, invest in tooling and tutorials or demonstrations 
of how to move from Drupal 7 to dot, dot, dot. Hopefully that's mainline Drupal. I think where some of the messiness starts to come about is in the actual implementation or the tactical bits of moving from a Drupal 7 site to mainline quote unquote Drupal. You and I have been doing research over the last few weeks and months about what are the options out there? How have they evolved since the last time we really checked in on this? And as it turns out, there's a lot of stuff that's out of date or is hard to find, or it's unclear if it's gonna actually do what I need to do. We were looking at migrate module and the, and the ability to migrate content from a Drupal 7 site into a Drupal 8, 9, 10 site, and the documentation is woefully out of date. If you're a person or a team who's stuck on Drupal 7, quote unquote, when you go to find out what are my options, how easy is it, there isn't a place that seems trustworthy, that seems like, oh yeah, we got this. There is no one place to go. There's no push button. Oh, I just got to push this button inside of Drupal, or I just got to spin up a new Drupal site and push this button or turn these modules on. It's very unclear. It gets messy and cloudy really quickly. So I think that's one of the areas where there's alignment on a high level, but if you dig a tiny bit deeper, it's like, well, yeah, but does any of this stuff work? Is it going to work for me? It gets really messy really quickly. Something that I find curious is I don't want to give documentation a pass at all. Documentation is super important, but it's not, it doesn't shock me, I guess, that there's out-of-date documentation. Maybe that's a testament to the st sad state of our expectations for documentation in our industry and then mm -hmm. maybe in our community. But it's curious to me the lack of tooling or the apparent need for further tooling. I think that the migrate is maybe a counterexample. Migrate, I think, is has come a long way and impressed so many people over the years, all yeah. the work that's been done. But it's interesting to me that there's Arena was calling to action, calling for help on the site audit module, and there's a ticket for porting that, porting the web UI there. Why has that not been done in the past? And I say that not from the perspective of someone thinking, why hasn't someone else gone and done this work? I'm mainly interested in why hasn't there been enough demand for this work? for an organization or organizations or people to be like, I need this, mm -hmm. I'm going to build it. Do you have any thoughts on why that is? It's interesting that you talk about it from the perspective of a team or an individual or somebody who's, I need this, I should build this, or I am building this, but I should build it in such a way that I can open source it and share it with the rest of the community. That probably has started and stopped many times for many different teams. My perspective is one of, if I'm, dare I say, one of the big three hosting providers in the Drupal space, I'm talking about in no particular order, Pantheon, Platform, Acquia, there's others. I have less familiarity with the others. Why haven't they either individually as companies or together put together an initiative to make this super easy? It's in all of their best interest to keep their Drupal 7 clients. If I'm Pantheon or I'm Acquia and I've got 10,000, 20,000, who knows, 50,000 sites, customers who I know are running Drupal 7 and they know how many they have. Why aren't they throwing gobs of money at developers to make this process smoother? Why aren't they building the tooling to make it way easier to get anything, maybe the exception of custom code that's poorly written, everything else 
why aren't they investing in moving that, making it easy to move to modern Drupal? Well, it's really easy for us to spend other people's money on this podcast. Yeah, let's spend Tim Cook's money right now. Yeah, we can spend everyone else's money. I would guess that some of these problems are quite challenging. I think that yeah. there, maybe there's some people that think the tooling has gone as far as it can go. I don't think that's quite the case. I think that there's certainly more that can be done, but I don't know that it's feasible for us to get to a point where we can say, oh, migrating from Drupal 7 to modern Drupal is easy. I suppose anything's possible with enough time and enough money, but certainly if the development of those tools was easy, they would be done already. They would be in existence. Certainly it could be better though. I think it can always be better, but I think it's very interesting. And you point out a, a really compelling group of people that it's in their interest to help support this. I know that there are organizations out there that run large numbers of Drupal site, Drupal 7 sites. One You're talking about like multi-sites or platforms. On right. So that's been one of the interesting things that I've started thinking more about through the course of creating this podcast. I think at the beginning we were talking about Drupal 7 sites and why you might want to stay on, why you might be content on Drupal 7 and upset that Drupal 7 is going away. And we talked about more simple sites. We also talked about complicated sites. What I thought was interesting was some comments about sites that were being launched today on Drupal 7. And at first you might think, why would someone launch a site today on Drupal 7? Until you consider there are organizations that have built a platform on Drupal and Drupal 7, and they might have hundreds or even thousands of sites that they and they are spinning sites up on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And until they move the code base to that entire platform, when they need to spin up a new site, they're still spinning it up in the platform they have. And that platform is Drupal 7. So I don't know if that's, it's certainly another site in the site count in those usage statistics. It's not necessarily another site for, as in a new code base, mm -hmm. but all that to say, those people should be very incentivized in theory to pitch in for the tooling, pitch in, in for the work to get the tooling to a place that's going to help them get to Drupal 7. Now I say that and I know how hard it is to prioritize some of that work. That yeah. is work that is not going to show up necessarily in the browser. It's not going to be, and when I say that, compelling for their end users, how do you sell that to your to their management? If you're that person, how do you sell it to your boss and say, this is a, we need to invest in this, building these tools, contribute to these tools. And they say, what's it going to, that's a lot of time, a lot of money. What's it going to do for us? Especially um, now. Especially now. And I hope that some of these conversations help that and say, well, it's going to get us off Drupal 7 and Drupal 7 is going to be a big problem mm -hmm. when it reaches end of life. But I think certainly up until now, it's been hard to make that case or easier to push off and say, it'll help us get off Drupal 7, but maybe that's a problem for next year. Yeah. Uh, problem for next fiscal quarter. I hope that all of these discussions that are happening, the outcome of that is that it's a little bit easier. Maybe it greases the gears to have those conversations and say, yeah, now is the time to invest to make these tools a little bit better or significantly better. It'll help us get off Drupal 7. It'll help the rest of the community get off Drupal 7. And a single organization 
shouldn't be responsible for doing it all. Mm -hmm. It was a collaborative effort. But if a number of organizations, a number of people push that ball forward inch by inch, then at some point there's going to be a significant result. Yeah. I'm wondering too, just for the audience, like who are the groups of folks who are probably running sites like that? I'll just make some guesses here. You're talking about like government sites. You're talking about maybe .edu. So like big universities that have yep, higher ed. You know, very similar needs across colleges within their university or departments or what have you, but they need to be siloed for whatever reason. So there's a number of those types of folks. I'm wondering if before we spoke to Irina, we didn't really know about the D7 soft landing initiative. And I would bet there's a lot of folks running Drupal 7 sites, running those platforms, running those larger versions who might still be launching new sites on Drupal 7 who have no idea that the D7 soft landing initiative exists and might, if they knew, be willing to contribute or dedicate some of their resources to it. It feels like a marketing problem more than maybe, or at least that's a big part of it is like just the communication, the comms around it are lacking. So maybe that's an area where we can help out both via the podcast and going to conferences and just spreading the word. And I think there's a lot more to be done. There's a number of groups who have a vested interest in building the tooling to help get off the Drupal 7 island. I'm talking about hosting providers, you know, so Acquia, Pantheon, Platform.sh, Amazie.io. There are many others, I'm certain. Those are the ones that stand out. But then also these bigger organizations. There's probably pharmaceutical companies who have, actually I know of a few, that are running Drupal 7 who have tons of resources and profits and could definitely, even in harder macroeconomic times, contribute to this effort. It's in everybody's best interest because if they've already invested in a big Drupal 7 platform, if they can get to D8 or D10 or whichever version that is going to be supported and secure, that's in their best interest. That must cost less than moving to something else if there is good tooling to do so. So I feel like Arena needs support to get the word out and get more resources and get organized on what needs to be built, what's going to make this easier, what needs to be improved, what's already out there, but just needs to be bubbled up. And I think that's a place that the Drupal Association can help and probably is helping the fact that it's been you know, marked as, a, as an initiative and they're going to lend support at events and things like that, hopefully through spreading the word and marketing as well. But yeah, that's why we're talking about this. I would also say if you're listening to this and you have hundreds of Drupal 7 sites or dozens of Drupal 7 sites or someone that is one of these people that's involved in a platform of some kind that has all these sites, we'd be interested in talking to you. We want to get some of those voices out there too. Where are the other areas where you know, that Venn diagram where that maybe they don't align or what are some of the other things we've talked about? What comes to mind for me is the, what about bringing backdrop back into the fold in some capacity? And when we talked about that some episodes ago, I got really excited about that because this makes so much sense. Why not do this? Since I've talked to a few others and I've thought a lot more about it. And on the surface, that sounds really compelling and possible as a like, slam dunk option to help. But when you dig a little bit deeper and you uh, start to understand some of the history of the why 
backdrop even exists, it gets a lot messier really quickly. Notwithstanding the fact that those are two separate projects now with their own processes and governance, and how would that those be integrated and how would Drupal and backdrop or Drupal and whatever we called backdrop, if it came back into the fold, how would we walk and chew gum at the same time? How would we not still treat backdrop as our little brother just coming along for the ride and a first class citizen in the community? Because they have competing priorities. And as Tim said on the last episode, his priority and charter is mainline Drupal. Like his job is helping that community and all of the bits that come around in that. How would his job have to change or be in conflict with Backdrop's priorities, which is creating a simpler, more approachable, site builder friendly, I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of their other goals, but a, like sort of a project that is focused on those things, whereas mainline Drupal has much different priorities and is being billed as the platform for ambitious projects. I think it depends on how you define in this conversation what it means for backdrop to come back into the fold, I think is how you just said it. But it depends on what that means. There is probably 10 different ways that could actually be implemented. And I agree with you. I think that the more you dig in, the messier it actually gets as far as what that could actually be. I think the one scenario that is not, I don't want to say it doesn't have its drawbacks, but there is like a light, there's the lightest version of that collaboration, which is like a strategic partnership between two different organizations. It's not a merger where marketing and branding wise, maybe you work together and you say, if there was the ability to share the Drupal trademark and say, these are both versions of Drupal, but these organizations stay separate. They have their own governance and that type of things, but the projects themselves could be marked at, they're both Drupal of different flavors. And that potentially helps the concern about the usage and solves the concern maybe of what happens if all of these Drupal 7 sites fall off that graph because they're leaving to go to Facebook pages as mm -hmm. Tim mentioned, or they're leaving to go to backdrop and then they're not Drupal anymore. Mm -hmm. That's a concern, I think, of the Drupal Association and the Drupal community leadership. Now, what does that do for backdrop? You know, I think that if they look at that and say, we would benefit a lot from being sort of branded as official in a way, that blessing in some way, if they believe that would help them get over some kind of hump and open up a some a floodgate of users from Drupal 7 sites now that, oh, well, Backdrop is, is the path to stay supported coming off Drupal 7 without going to modern Drupal. That might be good from the Backdrop perspective. It creates new problems too. I don't know if that is desirable from the Backdrop perspective to have that tie up mm -hmm. with Drupal TM. That would be a question for Backdrop's governance group. And I don't know if that's desirable to the Drupal Association or Drupal project leadership to say, long-term, 
backdrop is the way for Drupal 7 sites. I don't know if that's in alignment with all their goals, but that's the lightest touch way that I see. If you could solve those problems and if those groups were in alignment on that, then I do think there are benefits to that approach. I highlight all that just to say, I don't think it's necessary to assume that some kind of reconvening of these two groups would mean, oh, governance has to change mm -hmm. for backdrop, backdrop process has to change, backdrop's way of handling issues or pull requests or their hosting has to change. Maybe might be any single one of those might be a sticking point for someone. I don't know, yeah. but I'm just throwing it out there that in theory, those things could stay separate. Yeah. Thinking about it from the perspective of a D7, I'll use the term customer right now, but a user, somebody who is running Drupal 7 site or platform, they're still on Drupal 7 for some good reason, we'll assume. From their perspective, if you went the route of the lightest touch, let me play devil's advocate for a minute, and things like issues and where you go to report a bug or get patches or simply just the, what are these things called? That sounds really confusing really quickly. Oh, this thing is supported by Drupal, but it's a different project and issues for proper Drupal, including all of the modules I'm currently running, their history live on drupal.org. But now I'm going to move to backdrop and all my stuff's going to live where, like it gets really confusing from that perspective. And I would just hammer home again to anybody thinking that if this was easy, if there was an easy solution, it would already be done. So yeah. we're only left with hard options. Yeah. And, and still, whether you're going lightest touch, bringing backdrop back into the fold or the heaviest touch version of that, and you can imagine that for yourself, you still have all the issues of how do we move from here to there? Now, there needs to be, at least from my perspective, more investigation into what the backdrop community has built for moving from D7 to backdrop, modern backdrop. Backdrop has existed for a long time. So I expect there is good tooling there and a lot of the things that exist in at least the easy bits moving from D7 to modern Drupal exist in some capacity in moving from D7 to backdrop. But I don't know that for certain, which again, to me is like a marketing problem. Like you and I have done some research for this episode and it was like, all right, there's some documentation that indicates this will work, but you don't really know until you give it a shot and you take your code base and try it. And that is an investment unto itself just to figure out, just to discover, ooh, how hairy is this gonna be? So I just still think you come back to the same problem that there's not a lot of good information. Even if there are good tools, there's a lack of information about them and how well they work and how well they expose, like all of these things will work really well, like migrating your content types and your content, so long as it's used standard Drupal tooling, but these types of things are where you're going to cut your fingers, like custom code that's written this way or menu hooks or update hooks, like whatever the things are, there's no information about it. And understandably so, it's a very complicated thing, but I think the core problem remains in whatever flavor of bringing backdrop in that you can imagine, the core problem still remains. How do we get from here to there? And with there being either mainline Drupal or backdrop as a fully Drupal supported partner project. I think the core problems remain. I think we're going to end up talking more about that with future guests and Ooh, teaser. next time we won't have Chris here, but we will 
hopefully have a special guest and I'm excited about that. So stay tuned. We're going to peel this onion even further down and hopefully get some new fresh perspectives to weigh in. And if it goes the way it has gone so far, we'll probably have even some, we'll figure out some new ideas that learn some new ideas that we hadn't considered thus far. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Thanks, Mark. I'll see you at the end of the summer, huh? See you then. Everyone else, I'll see you next time. (laughs)